The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to this program about Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Today is Veterans Day, and I um, wanted to do a program today specifically on veterans and dementia, and our guest to do this program is Mr. Jimmy DeFore. Jimmy is a veteran of the Vietnam War and Operation Desert Storm, and he also served in Panama at one point. Uh, He retired from the Army Reserve as a Sergeant First Class. He's a founding member of the Military Partnership Coalition of West Central Texas. After a career in law enforcement, he became the Taylor County Veterans Service Officer and has served veterans in that role for 12 years. He also has served as chair of the Statewide County Veterans Service Officers Association of Texas. This man has been passionate about serving veterans and their well-beings. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Well. Dr. Brinkman, thank you for asking me. It's, it's quite an honor and a privilege to be here. You know, um, I have had the uh, good fortune of knowing you for many years, and I have to say, and I know that you will probably object to my saying this, but you are one of the most passionate, one of the most committed supporters and encourages, encouragers of veterans that I have ever seen in my life. And um, I, as a fellow Vietnam veteran, I say to you, welcome home, brother, and in your role as uh, the uh, uh, Taylor County Veteran Service Officer, I thank you so much on behalf of so many that you have served. Well, thank you. It's just an honor and a privilege to get to assist these men and women on a daily basis. I'm, you know, I've got a, a job. Well, it's not a job. It's a, it's a position that I can, I get to meet and talk with these veterans every day. You know, we live in a country that has freedoms that um, many, many areas of the world do not have. I, I can't help but reflect on some of the wonderful things of this country when we go through an election, the midterm elections we just went through, where even though there might be a lot of um, frustration and disappointment in the outcome on one side and elation and excitement with the outcome on the other side, this country has an orderly transfer of power. When one president goes out, another president comes in and orderly transfer of power. When I was a kid, I heard many times, the pen is mightier than the sword. And uh, uh, that saying has always stuck with me. But, you know, the other part of it is that pen is only mighty because the freedom 
of expressing what that pen is going to write is protected by the military. And so, again, to veterans throughout this wonderful nation, I thank you for the service, the sacrifice that you've made for your country, and to the families of veterans, uh, military um, and retired military, I thank all of you also for what you've given this country so that we can continue to enjoy the privileges that we have here. Oh, yes. that's And, um, you know, thanking the families is something that's very special to me because they serve right along with the veteran. Uh, when he's on active duty, they're back at home keeping the home front running, which in oftentimes can be quite a chore, you know, with one person missing from the household. So, yeah, it's, it's, to, the, it's to the active duty military, the veterans, and especially their families who, you know, hold down the home front while they're gone. Well, as uh, all of you among our listeners can imagine, there are waves of veterans that come into being in this country. There are times of uh, relative peace, and there are times when things are very much not at peace, and young men and women are called upon and uh, basically offer their willingness to make the ultimate sacrifice for our good. There may be lots of casualties at those times, and uh, and so lots of new veterans coming into um, a support system and a care system that uh, is intended to provide for their good. Now, the Veterans Administration, interesting history, how it came about, isn't it, Jimmy? Ah, yes, it is. Talk uh, with us about that. Well, uh, it actually came together a little bit piecemeal, and actually you can go all the way back to, um, you know, the 1776 back during our uh, fight for freedom, uh, America has always been a country that has taken care of its veterans. Uh, those who are wounded, those who um, come back with all kinds of disabilities, and, and basically it started, it was born when this country was born. Uh, you know, the Continental Congress saw a need of providing for the disabled soldiers. Uh, and that carried on even through the Civil War. You know, there was a need. Uh, World War One created a bigger need. Uh, and it started out as the Bureau of Veterans, or the Veterans Bureau. And uh, they actually started, uh, you know, the VA healthcare system, hospitals sprang up, the um, the homes, the National Home for Veterans, um, you know, and then they started the the benefits that the veterans uh, were to receive, which wasn't a whole lot, but at least it helped some of them. And in World War, after World War II, it really became uh, it came a it became a cabinet position. So, you know, we, thus the Department of Veterans Affairs as we know it today, with the Secretary of Veterans Affairs. So it's, uh, it's grown with need with all of the veterans that we have and all of the wars that we fought in. And um, now the VA runs one of the largest hospital um groups, you know, I guess in the world. I mean, it's uh, they it is a very, very large organization now, yes. isn't it? Uh, it's ex very large, and uh, even though it's large, 
it uh, it still needs to grow more with all of the young men and women who are coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, Sam, they are surviving injuries that in Vietnam we would have never survived. That's correct. You know, and, and I think that speaks volumes about uh, the advances that have been made in emergency medicine and, um, you know, evacuating the wounded immediately. It's, the things that could be done in the field, the speed with which evacuation could be done to get to a place where more complicated medical procedures could be done. In Vietnam, we counted it in hours. Now they count it in minutes. Isn't that amazing? It is so amazing. So the Veterans Administration developed, as you described, it now has three primary components, right? There's three major parts to the Veterans Administration. Number one is the Veterans Benefits Administration, and that's the ones that take care of those who who come back and they have uh, physical or mental disabilities, uh, and they are uh, they you know they get a certain percentage and you know they it depends on how much of their ability they've lost to work on what percentage of disability they get and how much income they get and then we have the veterans health care administration which like i said earlier is probably one of the largest in the world that takes care of all of the veterans and then we have the national cemetery administration those are the three main branches under the umbrella of the Department of Veterans Affairs. And uh, each of those is pretty sizable in its own right. Um, the uh, benefits, the veterans' benefits, what does that refer to? Well, the benefits, and, and there's many, you know, and each one of them comes with a little caveat, okay? You can't get this benefit unless you've got this. Um, when a when a veteran comes you know comes back home uh, and they have disabilities, um, you know maybe they're missing a leg or an arm, um, the VA will compensate them uh, based on the severity of the injury and and also for you know how much does it. Uh, limit the veteran's ability to work is what the thing is mainly aimed at. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's for any physical, any mental health issues that they may have. Uh, so they, they can be compensated on a monthly basis, uh, anywhere from 10% to 100% disabled. Uh, and then, of course, we have all of the other things. We have um, you know, we've got VA insurance as far as life insurance goes. Uh, if you have a disability, you can apply for uh, VA life insurance, uh, and your disability will not be a stopper to getting that. Uh, of course, we've got the GI Bill and now the post-9-11 GI Bill. And the post-9-11 GI Bill that we have now is oh it is a huge improvement over the old GI Bill that you and I faced when we come out of Vietnam. How has it changed? Well it's changed and it's evolved in many ways. Number one, you know, we would enroll in college and they would send us X 
number of dollars per month. And from that, we would um, have to pay the college. And it left little at all, if any. And oftentimes we had to supplement that, you know, to, to get through college. And now uh, it has evolved to the point that they, they don't send that check directly to the veteran. They will pay the college and then they give the veteran a living stipend, hmm. you know, like a thousand dollars a month and X uh, amount of dollars for books and fees. Uh, so it it gives the veteran a little bit of flexibility there, rather than having to hold down two jobs and try to go to college and pay for it. Um, it, it makes it a little easier on them. Well, Jimmy, I can tell you that uh, those many years ago when I was in graduate school in the 1970s, that $325 per month check that I received uh, under the GI Bill meant an awful lot to me. I was a single parent at the time, and um, I was carrying a full-time academic load and working as much as I needed to to make ends meet so that I could complete my professional degree. And I have been very grateful to taxpayers many times over the years for what that has provided to me. And this has been a desire and an important goal in my life to make sure that that was a good investment for this country, investing that money in my education. So this is what I've tried to do. Well, we are going to go to a break. And um, when we come back, we will talk some more with Jimmy DeFore, who is the Taylor County Veteran Service Officer. Uh, and uh, we will continue to focus on this topic on Veterans Day. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. By making some important changes in your life, you can move forward from where you are to where you wish to be. It is becoming the change you want to see. It can be a sort of experiment, if you will. On Moving Forward, Wellness One Step at a Time, your host, Dr. Serena Wadhwa, will introduce you to ideas that can help improve your health, relationships, and finances. You probably have at least one part of your life that needs improving. Make an appointment now to join us every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back, and thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Jimmy DeFore, who is the Taylor County Veteran Service Officer and has served in a state capacity, a state-level capacity as well. And as I had said earlier, it has been a passionate advocate and supporter and encourager of uh, veterans. He also is a veteran of the Vietnam War and Operation Desert Storm, so he went from the swamps to the desert and uh, as he said earlier, was colder in the desert than he was in the swamps. But um, I thank you, Jimmy, for your service. Uh, let's look at some numbers here. World War Two. Uh, I'm sorry, World War One. Active service members: four million um, seven hundred thirty-five thousand, hundred sixteen thousand deaths, and two hundred four thousand wounded. World War Two. 16 million, over 16 million service members, 405,000 deaths, and um, estimated living veterans right now from World War II is 1,711,000. So, uh, of people who served in World War II, 1,700,000 still thought to be alive. Korean War active service members, 5,720,000. Number of deaths was just over 54,000. And estimated living veterans from the Korean War, 2,275,000. Vietnam War, total of 8,744,000 service members at that point. Total deaths, 90,000 little over 90,000, and uh, actual in-theater deaths, 58,220. Estimated that there are uh, 7,000, just under 7,000, uh, 7,400,000 living veterans from Vietnam era. And then, of course, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, total U.S. service members, 2,300,000, death, 1,948, 383 of which were in theater, and the estimate as of 2009, these are all 2009 estimates, of um, 2,244,000 veterans still living, um, and this would include uh, those who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. We're looking at large, large numbers of people. We're looking at at World War II veterans uh, who are now in their 80s, Jimmy, mostly in their 80s. In their later 80s, 87 years old, it would be about the youngest they could have been and still participated. Now, we know there were some that that, uh, fudged on their age and went in at the age 16, 
Uh, well, there's quite a few actually, but mm-hmm. but 86, 87 is going to be about the youngest of the ones now. So as we start considering the issue of dementia among veterans and we look at this World War II group, keep in mind that at age 85, the risk of developing dementia is about 45%. And so if that statistic applies appropriately here with um 1,700,000 uh, World War II veterans thought to be living right now, that would be 800,000 World War II veterans that are struggling with dementia right now. And then we come to the Korean War, the uh, 1950 to 1953, and these are individuals who are, are now in their 70s primarily. And um, we're looking at 2,275,000 survivors in the 70s. At the age of 75, the risk of developing dementia is about 14%. So we are, again, looking at large numbers there. And then in our group, the Vietnam veterans, uh, 7,400,000 estimated living veterans. And we have been turning past 65 for several years now. The, the Vietnam vets that have returned. So obviously the Veterans Administration has to be ready for dealing with a lot of individuals who are now developing progressive cognitive decline. And um, as you said, the uh, if not one of, uh, you know, certainly one among the largest healthcare systems in the world. Uh, so uh, this is a, a big task. You know, the American healthcare system, um, and I'll include the Medicare system with that, and I'll include the Veterans Administration healthcare system as well. These are systems that are truly excellent at acute care. But the big stumbling block, the big transition that they are all struggling with right now is uh, how to make economical and effective a healthcare system that addresses chronic conditions rather than acute conditions. So the Veterans Administration um, has a big task lying ahead of it. Now, in the Veterans, uh, so, uh, Veterans Administration healthcare system, Jimmy, what all does that consist of? Well, in the uh, VA healthcare system, of course, they have their major major hospitals uh, all across the United States. And about 15 years ago, they they started a program where they were putting um, community-based outpatient clinics, bringing their um, outpatient care much closer to the veteran, such as here in Abilene. We come under the Big Spring VA Hospital, but we have a, a, a major outpatient clinic right here in Ameline. We have five doctors that uh, staff our clinic here. Of course, they've got clinic in San Angelo, uh, clinic in Hobbs, New Mexico. I mean, they're all around. Fort Worth has a big clinic. Uh, and uh, their focus has been on preventative care. But... This is changing as, uh, like you say, as the the veterans age, the World War II, the Korean and even Vietnam veterans were facing different problems. Uh, The problem, like you said, is the Alzheimer's, the dementia. I see many more veterans who are uh, being put in nursing homes or assisted living uh, based on 
developing the Alzheimer's and or various dementias. Now, Jimmy, if I understand right, the Veterans Administration has some nursing homes and uh, they also have um, contracted nursing homes as well. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, The VA, starting back in like 2002, 2003, were really trying to get out of the, quote, nursing home business. And uh, there's a couple of programs that will assist the veteran uh, in going to a a private nursing home, and it's called Aid and Attendance. And it's it's, uh, needs-based, depends on how much out-of-pocket you're having to pay, then the VA will help supplement um, what it's costing the veteran and or spouse uh, to be in that nursing home, a private nursing home. Now, the VA in many communities, like here in Abilene, they have a contract nursing home uh, here locally. And if a veteran is 70% or more service-connected disabled, then the VA will place that veteran in that nursing home at no cost to the veteran or family. Mm -hmm. So there's several programs out there that help address, um, you know, the need for nursing home care or assisted living care as you face, as our veterans phase into it. Is it the the big pan? Is this the great thing to solve all problems? Of course not. You know, uh, the VA has some pretty stringent rules about what your net worth is, what your monthly income so is. So it's a means-tested it's, service. It's a means-tested, and it's uh, based on your your ability to pay for that uh, service. You use the term service-connected disability. What does that mean? Um, any accident, injury, disease that happens to a veteran while he's on active duty. Um if and it becomes a disability, uh, then it's going to be what we call service-connected disability. This disability actually started or occurred. You know, there was an incident that occurred while you were on active duty, and uh, the VA will compensate you uh, for that disability depending on what percentage of disability you have. So traditionally, when we have thought about VA hospitals and VA clinics, you know, at least I personally had over the years thought, okay, here's an individual that had a traumatic amputation or a spinal cord injury or a, you know, common in in the Korean War, a a, um, a frostbite injury that was very severe. Uh, there may be malaria and things like that. And so the VA clinic or VA hospital would be addressing those issues because they were very much service connected. That's correct. But as somebody develops Alzheimer's disease um, or some other form of dementia, that's not necessarily a service connected condition. But if a person has service connected disability for other reasons, then they would qualify for care for that uh condition as well. Yeah, that that is correct. Uh, as far as your VA health care goes, it has a lot of caveats. You take a veteran who went in, did his time, whether it was two years, four years, six years, and came out with no disabilities whatsoever, 
back before 2006, you could enroll in VA healthcare, and uh, even without service-connected disabilities. Now, they did a means test where if you enrolled, you had to agree to make a copay on your for your medications, a copay for your doctor visits, and uh, that would that bar was set pretty low down there, where you you really had to be uh, at poverty level before you did not have to pay. In 2006, um, that changed, and in order to be enrolled in VA healthcare, you had to meet a means test. Okay, so and that's the point at which the... At that point there, um, you know, there's several hundred thousand veterans that were actually cut out of VA healthcare due to, to their income, you know. Now, those that have disability, service-connected disabilities, things that happened in the military, oh, you, you bet, they're, they're enrolled in VA healthcare. And one unique thing about uh, the Vietnam veteran that they put into place, and this is because of the herbicide Agent Orange. If you are a Vietnam veteran and you serve boots on the ground in Vietnam, uh, you are automatically qualified for VA health care. All right. Well, thank you for that clarification. Those things become very important when families are not very prepared to uh, sort through all that information. We are going to go to a break and we will return in just a couple of minutes. So thank you for staying with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. We are back, and thank you for staying with us for this discussion about of dementia as it applies to veterans. And we are talking with Jimmy DeFore, a veteran of the Vietnam War and of uh, Operation Desert Storm as well, a retired Army Sergeant First Class. Uh, I was an enlisted man in the Army. I spent my three years in, and when I saw someone of your rank coming, I was always very cautious of everything that I said and did, Top. So, (laughs) (laughs) I understand. And uh, Jimmy is giving us some of his time and sharing his expertise right now on different aspects of the Veterans Administration system. And Jimmy, you commented during the break that it is a complex system. It's a confusing system to navigate. And in general, the public does not know much about what services would be available, who would be eligible for for this or that type of service. So they really depend very much on someone like you who knows how to navigate that system. Well, that's very true. It is, it is fast becoming even more complicated um, by the day. Um, you know, it's not just something where you sit down and you fill out a form, send it in, and oh boy, here we go. There's so many caveats to each one of these little benefits that, you know, you have to meet this criteria in order to get the other criteria. Uh, so it's it's very complicated, and, and that's the purpose of my office is to… And, and you're the man that can wrap your brain around all that and make it understandable to the rest of us, right? Well, we try. <laughs> well, and I sure do appreciate that trying. We talked about the ages of veterans, World War II veterans and then Korea veterans, Vietnam veterans, uh, coming to the age of increasing risk of developing dementia. And and so the age in that sense holds the same risk value as it holds for anyone else. But there are other factors that come into play with veterans that can change the risk as well. And one of those very relevant to Vietnam vets is Agent Orange exposure. Uh, that's very true. Um, the herbicide Agent Orange um, when it was developed, it was uh, it was a herbicide that was used by farmers here in the United States with with no risk to it at all. However, there were some additional additives that went into it: the T2, T5, T7. Uh, these additives, which made it work a lot faster, and unfortunately, these were carcinogens that was put in there and uh, it wasn't it wasn't until the early 80s when uh, the government began to recognize some of the uh, disabilities that Agent Orange was causing even years after exposure Uh, you know the, the the prostate cancer lung cancer um, Hodgkin's disease, not Hodgkin's lymphoma, and a whole long list of sarcoma uh, cancers. And then lung cancer was added, and uh, diabetes, uh, 
diabetes mellitus type 2 is attributed to that exposure, which causes a lot of other different problems for the veterans. Including dementia. Including dementia, yes. And uh, then we get into the latest, which, which is um, ischemic heart disease or coronary artery disease, uh, Parkinson's disease, and um, B-cell or hairy cell leukemia have been added in the last couple of years. So the more research that's done, it seems the more that gets added to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's the signature wound, I guess you could say, from Vietnam. I mean, there are so many Vietnam veterans who have all of these different complications caused by their exposure to that herbicide. And of course, there continue to be, the, to be those who have um, much less diagnosable conditions as well that are thought to potentially relate to Agent Orange, but tracking that down has been very challenging. There's not as much documentation as you might think about who had exposure to Agent Orange, at which time, how long was the exposure, how repetitive was the exposure. So there, there continues to be this giant question mark surrounding the Agent Orange issue. Well, that's very true. But one of the things that uh, the Veterans Administration did um, after after quite a while in discussing and and pushing for it was that they made the exposure to Agent Orange as a presumption. You were presumed to have been exposed to Agent Orange if you were boots on the ground in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Because before they did that, the veteran actually had to prove that he was exposed to Agent Orange and that was a formidable task. I mean, you know, you don't know for sure. You know, you know there was you're, a lot of you're not exactly studying the environment at that at the moment that the exposure would happen. Well, there were quite a few other herbicides that were used over there. Now, Agent Orange got its name because of the orange band painted on the uh, the barrel, but you had uh, white, you had blue, you had several other different colors that denoted other herbicides. Mm -hmm. So simply because you you were under the plane that flew over and sprayed, you couldn't be 100% sure which one of the herbicides it was. So in consideration of the wide range of medical conditions associated with the Agent Orange exposure and in consideration of the relationship of those conditions to dementia, I, it would certainly seem reasonable to think that Agent Orange exposure would then increase the risk of developing dementia as well. Well, um, yes, I firmly believe that because if you look at the conditions that are related to it, such as the diabetes, can that develop into dementia? Sure it can. Some of the cancers, um, can that lead to dementia? Yes, it can. Now, there's this other thing that uh, I guess is is uh, equally a signature disorder associated with Vietnam, and that's post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, in previous wars, it was it has always been recognized. You know, to say that that war is a 
psychological burden on an individual is a, a great understatement. Uh, but the um, the impact psychologically on different people has been termed different things at different times. The shell-shocked veteran, for example, the war-weary veteran or combat-weary, you know, it went by different terms. But in yes. Vietnam, the the term that uh, was developed and used most consistently, post-traumatic stress disorder. And by definition, that means a person experiences some situation. It may be a one-time event or it may be a, a, a long-term or repetitive event that lies well outside of the normal range of psychological experiences. And it is followed by certain symptoms that include flashbacks, nightmares, avoidance of uh, similar type circumstances or situations. Um, it involves hypervigilance, in other words, constantly being on the lookout for threats. Um, it, ev it eventuates in, into depression and anxiety disorders and things like that as well. The sleeplessness is a very tough thing with it. And there's evidence that um, post-traumatic stress disorder approximately doubles the risk of developing dementia. This was uh, the research I'm most aware of has been out of the um, uh, Dr. Michael DeBakey VA Medical Center in Houston. Uh, they've done some excellent work in that area. And so you think about post-traumatic stress disorder doubling the risk of dementia and you consider Agent Orange exposure and you consider the advancing age of Vietnam vets, you start to seriously consider uh, what can be done prophylactically there. Well, that's very true. And, uh, you know, while we're, on, while we're talking about the uh, dementia part of it, uh, the signature wounds that are coming out of uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, OEF, OIF, uh, are PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury. That's correct. And uh, it's not just the Vietnam vets that are really uh, higher at risk. Um, all of our young people are too. And we're just, just, just hitting the tip of the iceberg right now. As, as far as what long-term effects is this going to have on uh, our young veterans who are either coming back or have been back for a short time. And what ages are these Iraq and Afghanistan vets now? Uh, most of them are, you know, in age, age, I think the median age is 26. 26? Yes. So we will talk a little bit more about this after the break because I would like our listeners to understand what it is about the traumatic brain injury that becomes very relevant to the discussion of dementia. We have just a couple of minutes to finish out our discussion of World War II, Korea, and Vietnam vets, and then we'll spend the last segment on that. Good. But what would you say at this point to individuals who have really, who, who are Vietnam vets or Korean vets, who have really not accessed VA systems because they have never felt that they needed to. They, it was not good, it's over, I'm okay, just live life. Yeah, and I even hear some of them say, well, there's others that are worse off than I am, That's so correct. I'm not gonna take up their spot. Well, you're not taking up their spot. They are gonna get that treatment. I strongly encourage all veterans to the, explore uh, VA healthcare and uh, to enroll in it and, uh, you know, whether or not you're going to be qualified, uh, 
that's not a decision I make or you make. Let's let's make applications, send it to the VA, and let them make that decision. Because, you know, I use my VA healthcare as a safety net because I don't know what's going to happen with the insurance business and all of that that's going mm-hmm. on right now. And um, while I do have service-connected disabilities, I uh, I. I stay active in VA healthcare, but I do have a private doctor also. So you can use it to your advantage. And that is really more the rule than the ex- exception, isn't it? True. Yes. There are some things that the VA system will do better. There are some things that uh, the private healthcare system will do better. And you are in a position to be able to avail yourself of either one yeah. of those. Take advantage of both of them because both of them are really good. They can work hand-in-hand because that's what mine has done for years. All right. Well, Jimmy, thank you for that. We are going to go to a break, and when we return, we are going to address the situation now that faces these young veterans, uh, mean age of 27, I think you said, Jimmy? 26. 26, and uh, the experiences that they have had that will modify their risk for developing dementia. So please stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. 
Welcome back to the program. As we go into this fourth segment, we are talking with Jimmy DeFore, a veteran of the Vietnam War and Operation Desert Storm, and we are honoring veterans today, and I, on behalf of Jimmy as well, offer our uh, most sincere appreciation to you for what you have given and for what you were willing to give, and uh, I pray that we will maintain as very precious the gift that you've given us, the freedoms that you have um, offered so much to defend. Uh, Jimmy is the uh, Taylor County Veteran Service Officer and has served as the uh, County Veteran Service Officers Association of Texas as their president at one time and has provided input into the, um, the veteran system through many other channels over the years. And uh, Jimmy, once again, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to share your experiences and knowledge and expertise with our listeners here. It's always a pleasure. This uh, discussion that we go into now of um, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, we're talking about the Iraq battlefield, the Afghanistan battlefield, and there are some things, each war brings something new that we just were not expecting. And one of the things that the um, uh, Middle East uh, activities has brought to the VA is this problem of the traumatic brain injury or abbreviated TBI. So I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of background about how TBI works, what happens with a TBI, and then I would like you to comment from there, Jimmy, if you don't mind. Sure. Traumatic brain injury uh, simply is a way of describing that there's a translation of mechanical force somehow through a moving object or atmospheric disturbance that goes through the scalp, through the skull, through the covering of the brain, and on into the brain. So you have a distribution of mechanical force on into the uh, structure of the brain, causing various types of injury to that brain, and the nature of that injury will include um, breaking up connections between cells, uh, tearing some of the long uh, nerve fibers, the long axonal processes uh, that go from uh, the brain on down the spinal cord. Um, but there are also a host of neurochemical events that take place as well with that. Now, we're not talking about a boxing match here, and we're not, not talking about a football game where people are getting hit on the head. That does happen. But in this context, what we're talking about is the impact of having these improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, that produce a very powerful explosion that distributes energy through the air. You hear an explosion, but, you know, hearing is simply a system that involves taking mechanical disturbance in the atmosphere and stimulating structures of the ear that will then stimulate structures in the brain that will translate it into what it is that you hear. The um, effect of an IED can be so powerful that it sends a shock wave, which is, again, nothing more than a mechanical disturbance and has the same effect as hitting someone on the head or as someone falling and striking the head on a fixed object. So we have the IEDs that markedly predisposed people to these uh, traumatic brain injuries, and most of them are in the category of mild 
um, I'll discuss in just a second what that category means. But we have a lot of these cases, and because of the success that that has been achieved in developing um, body protection, the um, uh, injury to the vital organs is prevented, and so the the person who in previous wars would have died now survives with fairly little obvious physical damage, but very significant disturbance in the functioning of the brain. So we call this a traumatic brain injury, and I refer to it as mild because by definition, um, uh, some uh, an injury like this in which there is no loss of consciousness or only brief loss of consciousness would be considered a mild brain injury. There are more sophisticated measurements that are used now like the Glasgow Coma Scale, but for our purposes here, if you have a very short period or no, or no period of unconsciousness, then it would be considered a mild injury. So, Jimmy, is that a fair description of, of what has been brought to the VA by the Mideast actions? Yeah, yes, that's, uh, that's a fair assessment. I see a lot of veterans in, in my young veterans, uh, many of whom um, have suffered, um, you know, a traumatic brain injury while deployed. And these IEDs are, boy, they're the signature uh, causes of this. Uh, you know, when the, when one of their vehicles gets hit by one of those roadside bombs, uh, many times that soldier is just bounced back and forth inside this vehicle. You know, they work very hard to armor these things up so that they can survive the explosion. And uh, in many cases, that does happen. But, you know, the the injuries that they go through on the inside of that vehicle, you know, that, that blast wave is still going to get to them. Um, of course, they're bouncing around in an all-metal vehicle hitting their head. Many of them I've talked to will tell me, said, you know, I only lost consciousness briefly, and then um, when I come back to, you know, it's uh, it's confusion, and after the confusion, then I begin to function as I was trained, and, uh, you know, early on, onset on, in the war, you know, nobody thought a lot about that. I mean, it was just part of it, you know, yeah. You got a concussion, yeah, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But such is not the case, not necessarily, because there's so many other different things that the traumatic uh, traumatic brain injury can cause. Sure, that brings us to that difficult combination of concussion and post-traumatic stress disorder. First of all, yes. and that combination has proven to be tough to treat. We also have this condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and a bunch of fancy words, but basically here you think about the NFL player like Junior Seau, who has had concussions during a playing career, and who, when his playing career is over and he should be enjoying a good life with his family and his recreational activities, finds himself having progressively worsening uh, compromise of his mental faculties. Well, it's very true, and that's what's happening to these young men and women. And like you said, uh, PTSD and some of the symptomology from TBI are virtually the same, so it is so hard to separate that out. 
You would have you know? to treat the neurological component differently from the psychological component, right. but it's difficult, difficult to say what does the neurology of it, the brain injury of it contribute, what does the psychological trauma of it, the PTSD component contribute. Right, because they both uh, manifest pretty much the same, like the sleep disturbances, uh, the nightmares, the anxiety and panic attacks that, that happen, and the severe depression that can set in. You are exactly right. It's, it's, it's right in line. It's, it's both of those, so it's hard to separate them out. It really you is. Know, they, they almost go hand in hand. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for being here for the program. This hour has gone by fast, and I'm so grateful to you for uh, taking the time for us, lending your expertise and experience. But I, more than that, I'm so grateful to you for what you contribute to veterans, and uh, hopefully you will have touched a lot of lives today. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Well, thank you. It, it's it's an honor and a privilege to get to work with these men and women who have endured so much and and are still enduring this long after the battle. That's right. All right. I will be back with you next week. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Jimmy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.